A few weeks ago, we had the privilege of having uh, one of the planting pastors of the Harvest Quebec Church that's going to be, Lord willing, coming, Eric Ricard, and he opened God's Word with us. And today, we have another privilege to have the lead pastor of that church with us here today, Danielle Pade. And uh, he's going to open up God's Word with us this morning. He is married to his wife, Catherine, and they have two sons who are both here with him today on a guy's weekend, all right? So a little extra prayer there for Danielle, okay? Uh, Joseph and Joshua, if you see them around, please make sure you make them feel welcome. As we mentioned when Eric was here, the name of the church is Eglise Doxa, and you can check them out online at eglisedoxa.ca. All right, they'll have a sort of where the plant is at there. There's information on the church there, and and can I just exhort you in one thing? They need our prayers right now, all right? Danielle's going to give us a little update when he comes up of where they're at and how we can support them, but we do need to pray for them. All right, most importantly right now, I believe they're in the core group stage, so pray that God would bring uh, people that are sold out to Jesus Christ to his team. And uh, so just give a, give a visit to their website there. He is passionate about seeing lives won for Jesus Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit, and he is, a, he is very passionate about God getting all the glory for it. Amen? All right, so will we please give a warm Harvest Ottawa welcome this morning to Danielle. Thank you. All right. Yeah, we are on a boys' weekend, so, oh man. Uh, my wife was not sure about that, uh, and, and, now, and I get why, because my wife is thinking about all of the little details that I don't think about. So, uh, yeah, so it was uh, a challenge for us to be there, but it was a good time also. And my boys were so excited to be here this morning. We've been back to Quebec since uh, uh, the, the, the month of July. And the thing is, we don't have anything going on on a Sunday morning. So for them to be able to go to Harvest Kids and to be part of the church and all that, and my, boys wanted, my boy wanted to have like his ESV Bible. He can't even read it. But, but, but you know what? But he knows that this book is so important that he is eager to be able to read it one day. And he, follow, and he takes that book everywhere where he goes. So when he is going to, to, to read it for himself, he will already have that ingrained in himself that it is not just one other book. That's God speaking to us, and that's amazing. Uh, so yes, we moved back in July, and uh, so I'm the other half of the church planting uh, team there, um, and, and, and we've been through a lot of uh, decision-making during the summer, and we decided to go to uh, the South Shore of Montreal, and, and, and honestly, we could have planted in Drummondville. This is where we are from, and we will have like 60 people joining us like right away in Drummondville, but the thing is, we were like, okay, maybe we will have people, but... They are there because maybe they, they know us, they love us, not necessarily because they, they, they get what Harvest is all about, the DNA and the distinctive. So it is, uh, there is great potential for explosion uh, six or one, one year uh, into it. So we decided to move to the South of Montreal, and honestly, we don't know anyone there. It's not like there is a big group praying, oh, please send a Harvest Church. People don't even know about Harvest there. So we, 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 just, we, just, we just don't know. And our house are to sell right now, and we try to find a home that will not cost too much. 
Uh, so maybe you can pray through that also. And, uh, and our heart, honestly, is that just people would just encounter Jesus Christ through our ministry there. We just, we just, we're just a little part of what God wants to do, but we are excited to be part of that. So please pray for strength. Uh, please pray for our, our, our wives that are homeschooling. That's just not that. That's a big deal. I mean, they're all spending the whole day with the kids, and then I come home and I'm like, "Hey, how are you doing?" And they're like, "Oh, I'm doing good." I'm like, "Hey, what's the problem?" Well, just spend one day with the kids and trying to uh, to do that, and then tell me how you feel. You know. So, uh, so yeah, that that's another challenge, but still. This is a great blessing from uh, the Lord. So yes, we're on a core group stage. Uh, baby steps, we're like 10 people. But the thing is, we have 10 people that are willing to, uh, to move their, ho- their home also and to find another job that will pay them way less than they were paid before. So, and, and they are moving there because they trust that it is what God is wanting to do. And, that, that, and for that, we're so thankful very so thankful. Uh, just before we get in the word, uh, would you join me in prayer? We need God so much. We need, you know, we need the Holy Spirit so much in this place to do a work that I can't do. I know my limitation. Each time I'm invited to preach, it seems that I get a cold at the same time. I mean, I don't even preach the, the language well, and I've got a cold. So I need the Holy Spirit, right? Okay? So <laughs> let's pray. Let's pray together. Um, Father God, thank you for your word that we are going to open. We just worship you through song. It doesn't mean that worship stopped there. Worship is so much bigger and wider than just uh, praising you. It is about delighting in you in everything that we are doing. And I pray that this time of opening your word will be a time of worship. There, there are so many situations that I don't know. I don't know very much about this church, Lord. But I know that our, there are people struggling, people suffering, Lord. And I just want you to bring them new life and new Hope as we open your word. Lord, we can go through the motions so easily and just go to church because we, this is what we are doing. And we can sing those, those songs without even thinking about the word uh, and having those words not affecting our heart. Forgive us for that, Lord. You're a good God. You're a great God. Oh, just, just, just lift the scales that are in front of our eyes so that we, should, that we could see your beauty and be transformed as we see you as you are. So please, Lord, may your Holy Spirit come here and I'm praying for revival and I'm not using that word. I'm not using that word lightly. I want revival, a greater manifestation of your presence here, Lord, that change heart. I want and I am bold enough to tell you, Lord, I don't want anyone getting out of that room unchanged in one way or another. Speak to everyone right now, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay. So, uh, please open your Bible in James chapter 1. James chapter 1. I'm, gonna, I'm going to give you some time just to 
find that book just after Hebrew, okay? You get to Hebrew, continue. Next book, James. So James chapter one, because I want you to be able to see that, to follow with me as we are going through that, um, that time of preaching. Sorry, uh, yeah, and, and if anyone is, uh, is one, uh, want a Bible or don't have a Bible uh, with them, you just, you just can raise your hand or people that will provide Bible for you, or you can use your iPhone. As long as I can see maybe like a glow on your face or whatever, I know that you are following with me, so that's good. And our Bible's there, okay. So, we turn in James chapter one, verse, uh, and we are going through uh, verse five through eight. I'm gonna read five through eight. Okay, let's go. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Okay, so um, the title, the title of my message this morning is Asking for wisdom when life is hard. Asking for wisdom when life is hard. And one of the major theme, if you ever read the book of James, one of the major theme of the book of James is the call to persevere in trials. Trials are coming, or trials are there, but persevere, persevere. And he reminds us that uh, right at the beginning of his letter, that trials are a mean by which God will produce steadfastness, in our life, and that steadfastness can make us perfect and complete, according to verse four. Or in other words, trials can be a mean to produce a holy character in us. Sanctification, most of the time, comes through trials. So look here, look here, okay? If, if you are a child of God, then the Bible promises promise you that uh, God really do have a wonderful plan for your life. Uh, and some people are like, just chuckle right now, like, what is that? Okay, what is this, this preacher? Because I know we laugh at this phrase, because I don't know about you, but every youth conference that I was going to uh, as a youth was about like almost the same team. It was about God has a wonderful plan for your life, guys. God has a wonderful plan for your life, guys. I'm like, oh, right. That's amazing. But it, the problem is no one ever told us what it was. It's like, uh, what is that wonderful plan? Uh, I don't know. Maybe, maybe in, no preacher ever told us what it was. Or maybe they were not sure themselves what it was. But it's just like a catchphrase like that. But... But a fact remain, okay? If you are a child of God, then God really do have a wonderful plan for your life. He does. He does. And, um, and the wonderful plan is to conform us to the image of his son, Jesus Christ. So Christ-likeness is the ultimate goal. This is the wonderful plan. This is the wonderful plan. So in verse 2, 3, and 4, 
James is calling us to consider trials in our life as a subject of joy. Are, <laughs> are you kidding me? Like, consider trials in your life as a subject of joy. Why? Because God will use them in order to make us look more and more like Jesus Christ. But then, James continues his letter by introducing the subject of wisdom. And um, it can get a bit, like, confusing here. Like, is he, is, he, is he just, like, getting to another subject here, or is he continuing a theme? Well... Uh, the, the question can be, why is James writing about wisdom at this point? Why follow the first four verses of his letter with the theme of wisdom? Well, listen, okay? Listen, it, it is important to realize that James is not getting to another subject here. Why? Because James knows all too well that verse 2 three and four absolutely can't. They can't be a reality in your life unless you have divine wisdom. It can. And honestly, uh, I long so much. I long so much for that. I long so much to look at trials in my life, and I mean illness, betrayal, financial problem, a flat tire, okay, all of that persecution, you know? I mean, all of those trials and truly be able to say, hey, that's another good day. I mean, that's certainly another good day. That just, uh, God just sent me another reason to rejoice today because Christ's likeness is coming. What can destroy your joy when you think like that? What can destroy your joy when you're really trying like that and your mind is set on wanting, I want to look like Jesus Christ. I want to glorify God in everything that I'm doing. So if, God, uh, if, if, wisdom, if wisdom is the way to joy and godliness in trials, then I'm craving for it. And I'm liking for it. I'm liking for it. But, so, but I'm craving for this wisdom. And I'm sure that you do too. So our first error uh, is simply this. Desire wisdom. Desire wisdom. So let's look at verse 5 together again. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask God. Who give generously to all without reproach. And it will be given him. So, so, so James finished verse 4 by saying that the goal of trials is that our character will lack nothing. And then he began verse 5 by addressing the possibility of lacking wisdom. Why? Well, because if you lack wisdom, you will be lacking in everything else. If you lack wisdom, you would be lacking in everything else. So, so if James considered that wisdom is so important, then, then we better know what wisdom is, right? What is wisdom? So Nancy Demos says this, wisdom is really learning to see all of life from God's point of view. Wisdom is really learning to see all of life from God's point of view. I think we should have a slide for, the, for this one. 
if not, it's not no big deal, but, but it's so important to get that. We, I mean, we need to ask him for wisdom because we don't see what he sees. We don't. We don't see what he sees and we don't know what he knows. So wisdom is to have God perspective and understanding which then lead us to a godly response in every situation. And that's why wisdom is so desirable. That's why we need that so much because the truth is that we all lack wisdom, all of us. And, and we lack wisdom and understanding, and so we don't have specific answer to all of our problem. And are so, I mean, so many examples. Uh, what's the right way to discipline my kids when nothing seems to work? I've read the book, I, I went to the conference, my kids are still tornadoes. Uh, so how do you, I, I don't know, but I need wisdom, okay? I need prayer, for sure, and wisdom. And how, how to respond. When you have a, uh, someone close to you, a loved one that is there, and, and, you're, and you just ridicule your faith as you're sharing with him or with her, he's just ridicu- ridiculing your faith. How do you respond to that? Well, you need wisdom. How, how can we plant a church in Quebec? I don't know. I mean, I've got no clue apart from God. We're just following the next logical step according to us. But you know what? We need wisdom. And, and, and God did something amazing here in Harvest Ottawa. But what is he expecting from you guys? From this church, in this place, at that time, what is he expecting from you? Need wisdom. We need wisdom. Now, listen to the word of Sam Albury, okay? I think it's very profound, and that's so true. One of the features of trials is that they so often become all-consuming. It can be hard to think about anything else. We can become utterly absorbed by what we are going through. And it it can seem impossible to look beyond the immediacy of pain in order to see anything else. You, You recognize yourself in that? Because honestly, I can recognize myself in those words. Easily. I can recognize myself. And I'm sure, okay, okay, guys. Um, uh, I'm sure some people here today, uh, you're going through tough times. We live in a real world, and, and so that, that's sure, okay, that's certain. Some people are going through tough times. Some, some of you are probably grieving the loss of someone close to you. That hurts so much. Some of you are feeling an immense sense of pain and hurt right now because you have been betrayed by a close friend or, or even worse, by your husband or your wife. And that hurts. It's like a knife in your heart. That's, that's terrible. Or some are in deep distress. Some parents are in deep distress because your child that you love so much has walked away from the Lord. And some other are just here and they're like, is it life? Is it 
is it, is it what life is all about? There's nothing less. I mean, I've studied, I've got like the, that perfect career. I'm supposed to be at the top of the world. And this is the image that I'm, that I'm trying to convey. But honestly, is it all there is? I'm going to grow old. My car is going to grow old and I'm going to die one day. So am I living for something that really matter? You know what? That's another struggle. And that's time this morning to reevaluate your heart. And this pain sometimes, the pain of, 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 of just not knowing what, what we should do and the pain of all of those situations can be so absorbing that you can already think about anything else or even imagine or you will make it through another day. And, and, and I'm deeply aware, okay, I'm not... I'm not talking this morning about just theoretical stuff. It's not just about like, okay, get some Bible knowledge and get back home or, you know. It, it's, it. I'm talking about some people that are suffering today. And you know what? Either you're going through trials right now. This is your experience. Or you will be going to trial at some point in the future. So we need wisdom. We need a divine worldview in order to prepare and protect our hearts against the waves of difficulty. And I, uh, um, I read an article some years ago, uh, and that always stayed impressed in my mind. So let me, let me read it to you, okay? Maybe, maybe you know that. Um, in 1952, Young Florence Chadwick stepped into the water of the Pacific Ocean of Catalina Island, determined to swim to the shore of mainland California. She had already been the first woman to swim the English Channel both ways. The weather was foggy and chilly. She could hardly see the boat accompanying her. Still, she swam for 15 hours. And when she begged to be taken out of the water along, along, along the way, her mother in the boat alongside her told her that she was close and that she could make it. But, 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 but finally, just physically and emotionally exhausted, she stopped swimming and she was pulled out. And it wasn't until she was on a boat that she discovered that she was less than a half, uh, than half a mile away from the shore. And now, at the news conference the next day, she said this, all I could see was the fog. But I think if I could have seen the shore, I would have made it. Do you get that? All I could see was the fog. That's the problem. I was not seeing the end goal. I was just seeing the fog. I think if I could have seen the shore, I would have made it. So look here, seeing the end goal clearly is what can give us the strength to persevere. And what is the end goal again? To be more and more like Jesus Christ. And that's the whole point of asking for wisdom during trial. It's impossible. It's impossible for us to count it all joy when we are facing trial unless, unless we get divine insight and wisdom, realizing that God has a plan behind all that. Do you know that? That, that God is not arbitrary in your life? 
He's got a plan behind all that, and that these things do not happen randomly in your life. God is at work. God is at work. Now get this, wisdom. Wisdom is asking God to clear the fog so we can see the shore clearly and continue to swim. Not necessarily asking God to stop the waves. It's not necessarily asking God to stop the wave. It's asking God to help us see the shore because sometimes the wave are the training ground for sanctification. So wisdom is about getting that big picture in our circumstance, which then lead us to the right response in our trial, which will be joy and perseverance. So, so, so now that we know what is wisdom and why we need it, let's move to our second point, which is acquire wisdom. Acquire wisdom. Uh, let's read verse five and six again. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask God, who give generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. So, so James could not be clearer here. He could not be clearer. The way to acquire wisdom is simply to ask God in faith. So if you want real wisdom, do not turn to the world, turn to God. Turn to God. James point us toward the only source of wisdom. It is God himself. So my question for you is where are you going? Um, when you're going through our time, where, where do you go to acquire wisdom? Where do you go? Human psychology? Maybe self-help book, and honestly, they, they leave you helpless at the end. You try the trick for one week, and then it just don't work. Or, I don't know, do you go to Oprah? I hope not. Maybe I've got some Oprah fans here. Sorry for that, but... Mm. Um, Maybe you go to Dr. Phil. I don't know, whatever. But the Bible tells us that the, in the book of Proverbs, chapter 9, verse 10, that the fear of the Lord is what? The beginning of wisdom. You don't have that, you don't even have the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. It's about, it's about the fear of the Lord it's, and it's about knowing the Holy One. Is it your experience? Listen, listen there, there is no real wisdom and no true insight to be gained apart from God. So, so God is the one we shall ask for wisdom. But James also tells us that we shall ask him in faith. Not just ask, but ask him in faith. So please understand this. Okay, I, I, I came from, a, um, I would say, a different theological background, a different, um, yeah, church background. Uh, and a lot of things uh, in my life needed to be de de deconstruct and uh, 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 to, to have a, f a, a new foundation being built up, okay? Um, but please understand this. James is not asking us to play mind game here. When we talk about faith, 
I mean, it's not the version of faith where faith is mostly seen as a force, you know? Use the force and get what you want. If you, if you truly believe enough, I mean, anything can happen. You just use that and it becomes like an object that we can use in order to get what you want. And real faith is not about repeating, I believe, I believe, I believe, I believe, I believe, until you kind of put yourself in that mode where you kind of believe that you're not really believing for real, okay? And I've seen so much of that, so much of that around me. Uh, and people trying to convince them, themselves uh, by, by their own power. So uh, uh, there is a slide here about what is faith, and it's so important, guys. Faith is about truly knowing who God is, okay? And giving Him our entire trust. You can't have faith in someone or trust someone that you don't know. So faith is about truly knowing who God is and giving him our entire trust. And you are going to spend some time in this subject because a lot of people have a wrong view of God and therefore they can never ask in faith because the key to asking God is knowing God. And that's why, that's why James ground his plea in the fact that we need a right, uh, a right view of who God is and what are his disposition towards us. So what is James writing? He says that God give what? Generously. He give generously to all. To all without reproach. Is it your view of God? I struggle with that sometimes. Is he really winning? Uh, I mean, I mean uh, to, to give generously to me or, or will I receive just some crumbs here and there? Do you view God as a hard and grumpy and reticent father? Or do you truly realize that God is generous and that he is more than willing to answer your prayer? Do you truly know God like that? Because James tells us that there are terrible consequence in having a wrong view of God. Look with me to what he says in verse 6 and 8. He says that the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. Wow. He is a double-minded man. He is unstable in all his ways. There is a commentator uh, um, named um, William McDonald's, and he says this, if we doubt his goodness and power, we will have no stability in times of troubles. And we will be like the wave of the sea tossed by the wind. And you know what? You know what? The danger of trials, because that's dangerous. The danger of trials is that they, they can lead us to kind of, uh, we reinterpret we reinterpret the character of God. We reinterpret God according to our present circumstance. You know? I'm sure that's true for you, for you also. When things are going, are going well, where we have no problem thinking, talking about the goodness of God, but when everything is falling apart, 
to talk about the goodness of God, it's like we reinterpret his character because he's not sending us right now what we wanted him to send us. And to be honest, that's a major temptation in my life. For, okay, for example, when everything goes well, when everything goes well, we can easily say, oh, God is good. God is good. Look at what he has done. Look at the house he provided, or look at the, what, whatever he has done in my life, the ministry, he responded for job, or whatever. God is good. And, and that's true. We should, we should say that. Because God is truly good. But... The problem is it can leave the impression that God is good when my circumstances are good. Or that God is good because my circumstances are good. But the truth is, God is good even when everything seems to be falling apart in my life. And I just don't know why. I can't seem to trace the reason behind that. I don't know, but God is still good. And unless you are truly convinced of this truth, you won't be able to ask in faith. So, uh, yeah, look here, okay? Um, Because I'm, I'm sure many people need to hear what I'm going to say today, okay? Your circumstances are lying. Your circumstances, they are lying. They are not the place to look at in order to understand God. And I know a lot of people let their circumstance dictate their view of God. And so they have no stability. They have no stability in their Christian work. They are, they, they are, like, they are like the waves of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. And sadly, uh, that, uh, that breaks my heart because I see that a lot in Quebec, okay? And sadly, a lot of that can be attributed to some bad teaching people have received, where they have been taught that if you apply certain spiritual law or spiritual secret, then you will only experience health, wealth, and prosperity. I want you to be on your guards, people. I want you to be on your guards because this teaching is extremely dangerous. It's not just wrong, it is evil, and it is a lie, and it hurts people. It hurts people. I was just on the phone last week with a young lady, and she's in tears, and she's been to uh, uh, that kind of group, and she's depressive, and they told, they told her that she had demons and all kind of things, and that she, if she had a lot, enough faith, then she should throw her medication around it, and now she can't even function in life, and, 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 she's, and, and it's been so ingrained in her mind that she's not even willing to go to get some other medication so that she can function well right now. She can, and I'm like, hey, I would call her Cindy. That's not her, her name. I said, you know what? You are going to pop a pill tonight to the glory of God. <laughs> Go back to your doctor. You need that. Thank God. You, uh, he just provided. He put you in a place where you have what you need so your brain can function. Praise God. God can heal in different ways, and I want you to do that tonight, and thank Jesus for that, and just pop that pills. I mean, come on. 
Is it working for you right now? No. Okay, so let's get to something else. And, and, and I was just, and we're talking for so long, but, and I've got so many stories about people that have wrecked their faith because of that bad teaching. But we, you, you know what, guys? We have so many promises of hardship, difficulty, and even persecution in the Bible. But, but do you realize that the Bible contains no promises of an easy life for the Christian? It's not there. I mean, just read the book. Read the book. That's all. It's not there. Listen, okay, the Bible, the Bible never says that God proved his love towards us by sending us good circumstances so people get confused because this is how they evaluate God. And they're like, okay, so, so, so if I can... If I can look at my circumstances to know if God loves me, then where should I look? Well, the Bible provides the answers for that because it says that God show his love or prove his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This is how we prove his love. He don't prove his love by giving you a big home or a new job. Thank God for that. But this is not the proof of his love. The proof of his love is sending his son, Jesus Christ, dying on a cross for us. And so for many of us, it needs to, we need to reframe the way we think and think biblically true about that. The cross is where our faith in the, in the goodness of God must be grounded. And by sending his son, Jesus to die for us. We, we can sing about that. Like, yeah, Jesus, he died for me. Hey, that's... Can, can we just feel those songs? Not just with our head, but truly realize what you're singing about? That's amazing. That's amazing. The ultimate proof that, uh, for his, uh, that his love for us is that he gave us his own son, the most precious being in the whole universe, guys. What other proof do we need? What other proof do we need? Our circumstances, they are always changing. Always. But because of the gospel, the disposition of God towards his children are good and always good. Whatever the circumstance Whatever you're going through. And in other words, God is for you. He is for you. That's amazing. The God of the universe is for me. I don't get what I'm going through right now. That doesn't make sense. Why is this happening? But still, the reality is that he is for you, according to Romans 8.31. Even in the worst circumstance. So stop changing your view of God in light of your circumstances. But change your view of circumstances in the light of who God is. You are, I am, in the school of God. And he will get us to different ways, certainly, but he will get us to the image of Jesus Christ, to the conformity with his son. Uh, and I want to be, to be just very honest with you, okay? Um, I want to tell you what was a, a real life changer for me, a big life changer. Because we, we, honestly, okay, without Jesus, 
If it was not of Jesus, it would have been very hard for me to put my faith in God. You know what? You know why? Um, because in the world of pain and suffering, I mean the real world, okay? In the world of pain and suffering, how could you trust a distant God who never tasted it himself? How can you trust a distant God who knows nothing about what is going on? That, 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 that was a major problem in my life. I'm, I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm going through so much things. What, what are you doing? What do you know? What do you know about what I'm going through right now, Lord? You know? And, and that, was just, that, that, that was a major problem because I've been raised in a Christian home, but I just rejected God because it was like, hey, there is a problem here. It's not a good world. There is a lot of, of things going on. What are you doing? But then I realized that God became a man. He became a man and that he went through all of the same things that we are going through. Jesus tasted the joy of being in family, but, but also the pain of losing a loved one. And, and Jesus knew what it was to share a good meal, but, but he also experienced a thirst and hunger. And Jesus experienced deep friendship, but also terrible betrayal. Jesus was loved by some, yeah, but he was also hated by many, <laughs> by many. He experienced physical suffering. He experienced deep, deep sorrows, and, and he even experienced death by, name, by, by being nailed to a cross for my sin, for your sin. How can that be? Why would he do it? That makes no sense. But, 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 but get that, the God of the Bible is not a God who stayed at a distance. I can never raise my fist to the air and say, God, you just don't understand. You never been through that. What are you doing? Uh, God said, oh, yes, I've been through that. Oh, yes, I've been through that. I went to hurt, and I was not in the castle. I lived in poverty. I, and, and you know what? That was my choice. That was my choice. So, yes, I understand what you're going through. So, God decided to live among us by becoming one of us. And you know what? For me, it changes everything. It changes everything. It does not mean that I have all the answers to my question. I don't have all the answers to my whys, but it means that I know that he understands. He can relate to us because he embraced every part, every part of our reality. So now that's a God I can trust. That's a God I can trust. So the gospel, God becoming a man and, and dying on a cross for us, it helps us ask the right questions during trials. And the question is not, Lord, why is this happening to me? Why am I such a good person? No, that's not, a good, that's not the good question to ask him. The good question is, Lord, I know that you love me. Okay, I, I know that. But now it doesn't make sense, okay? 
how can I glorify you anyway? How can I glorify you by the way I handle my present circumstances? How can I glorify you? People around me know that I'm going through a hard time. How can I glorify you in the midst of that situation? When you ask God for wisdom, be sure it will always point you to the gospel because the gospel, the cross of Jesus Christ, is the wisdom of God. So look here, okay? Don't waste your trial. Don't, don't waste your trials. Um, in your trials, you will either grumble or you will grow. In your trials, uh, they, they will either make you sour or they will make you sweet. And I've seen that a couple of times. I mean, I, I, I sometimes talk to older people who went through very difficult time and circumstance at some point, at some point in their life. And honestly, uh, sometimes their, um, their, their circumstance, their situation were very similar very similar story, they look the same, but yet the fruit, the fruit produced in their, in, in their life by these trials can be so different because some are just so full of peace and hope and I mean, they are going through so many tough things and then they are there encouraging you and you're like, uh, I'm supposed to be the one doing that. Uh, like you reverse the role here, but... Uh, well, I like that, you know, just, just, just sweetness that's been produced by trials, but others are just grumpy and resentful. And what made the difference here? The wisdom of God, the wisdom of God. And here is what I mean. Without wisdom, you will think that your struggles are meaningless and you will probably become grumpy and, res and resentful. You cannot be in a good place if you think that it is just meaningless. You're just going through life, you are, are having a hard time, and it has no point. You're just going through life. But as you become aware that it is God working in your life, even if it is, even if it is a hard mercy in this part, then you can still thank him for that. Um, without wisdom, you will either um, be, uh, with wisdom, you will either go, um, go uh, sour or you will go sweet. Uh, but, but, but the wisdom of God will help you ground your faith in the solid truth of Romans 8, 28. I mean, it's just like a 316 verse, you know? Yeah, but it's still so good. I mean, I mean, it says that everything in the life of a believer serve a good purpose. Really? N not just like certain things, big things, once in a while, uh, in certain seasons. No, everything, every little thing in the life of a believer, serve a good purpose. Listen, God is never wasteful. He is never wasteful. And your trials are not meaningless. They are not meaningless. That's the wisdom that will turn trials into opportunity for growth and Christ-likeness and even joy. So now, now to truly believe that God is good, 
that is in control and, and, and that he has a purpose behind it all? Well, that's what it means to ask God in faith. That's what it means to ask God in faith. But now, in verse 8, uh, the one who doubts is called double-minded. He's a, uh, he's a double-minded. In other words, that double-minded is, is just to be divided. He's divided. And trying to go, he's trying to go in two directions at the same time. It's like asking God for wisdom, but also doubting his character. It's like just looking over your shoulder, just in case wisdom could come from somewhere else. And people are like, oh yeah, sure, I want God. Yeah, I want, I'll go to your counseling classes and all that. Yeah, if it can help, I mean, you know, I, I, I would do that. Uh, of course I want God, but I also want my own way. And that doesn't work. That doesn't work. According to James, the double-minded man is the exact opposite of the man who is pure in heart. Look at what James wrote in chapter 4, verse 8. Uh, yeah, it says, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Now, now, now we stop there normally. Okay, that's, like, that's the part that we quote. Draw near to God, he will draw near to you. Yes, and that's amazing. That's amazing. But, but the writer continues. He says, cleanse your hands, you sinners. That's all part of drawing near to God. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. And, and what? And purify your heart, you double-minded you need to purify your heart. So James says that the cure for the person who is double-minded is what? It is to have a pure heart. That's the cure. That's the cure. So be, uh, because to be pure in the heart means you are not divided. It means that you have set your mind on only one thing, and it is glorifying God, whatever it may cost you. Whatever it may cost you. And the cry of the pure in heart is, God, uh, through my trials and all that, I want to please you. I want to glorify you. Is it, is it your heart this morning? Is it what you want? Is it the desire of your heart truly? No, because that's interesting now. Because, because according to Matthew 5, 8, the pure in heart, the single-minded will see God. If you're pure in heart, you will see God. And it's not just talking about, okay, one time, uh, maybe Jesus will, Jesus will come and just catch you up or, or, or you will just die and then you will see God. Amazing, amazing. But, but it's talking about more than that. The pure in heart will see God. It means that also that God will manifest himself to that person. There will be like a friendship going on and, and that person will gain insight and wisdom. How awesome is that? But the, the, the double-minded of James uh, chapter 1, 8 won't receive anything from God and he will stay blind to God and will be left in his confusion. So, so, so the, point, the point is simple. God wants our whole heart. God wants our whole heart, not just part of it. God, God wants us to trust him and his goodness. Even when our circumstances are screaming something else, just screaming something else, he still wants to trust that we, that we will trust him. So how, how, how can you get to that place? 
of trust in God. Well, to get to that place of confidence and trust, you need to have the fear of the Lord. It comes with the fear of the Lord. And the fear of the Lord comes through knowing who God is. Not the God that you created in your own imagination. I have so much conversation with people in Quebec. They say, oh, okay, that's your God. Well, my God is not like that. I'm like, okay, where do you find your God? Uh, Because what I'm telling you is what is in this book, you know? Uh, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. Do you know him? Not just with your head, guys, but do you know him? Do you know him personally as a God who is satisfying for your heart? As a God who can expose the desire for sin because it's so satisfying. Listen, if you are a believer, ask him for wisdom. Ask him for that. Ask him. And even if you don't feel wiser, because this, okay, sometimes you're like, okay, God, give me wisdom. Uh, where, uh, I don't know. Did, did, did I miss it? Or like, like we're waiting for that beam of light or something, okay? It's not how he does that, but asking for wisdom. And even if you don't feel wiser after, after that, trust him. Just trust him. He will answer that prayer. He will guide you. That's his promises for your health, for your wavering kids, for your job, in your ministry, for your marriage. And he won't fail you. God won't fail you. Those who put their trust in the Lord won't be put to shame. So God told us his plan for a life life in the Bible. And that's that we will become more and more like Jesus Christ. And, and yes, and yes, trials are a big part of that process. Maybe we don't like that, but that's the way it is. And wisdom is about keeping this big picture in front of our eyes and asking God to help us respond well to our trials. So my question to all of you this morning is what are you going to do with this message? What are you going to do with this message? Because some here are going through trials. And you know what? Your tears are real. Your tears are real. And your sorrow are real. But yet, yet through all of this, you know that the Lord is good, that he is for you. And that there is a purpose behind what seems to be only chaos. So, so may your heart be so comforted this morning. You are a beloved child of the living God. And he hasn't said his last word in your situation. But some are here this morning and honestly, y- y- your heart are bitter. Your heart are bitter Let me tell you once again, your circumstances are lying. They are lying. And that, you know, as pastor, we we just want to have like the the solution for every problem. Like, okay, do that, do that, do that. I don't have all the answers 
to all uh, uh, what you're going through and why you're going through such pain right now. But I know the truth that God cares and is not indifferent. He went through it himself. So this morning, it is a great time to let go of your anger. And some people just don't know the Lord this morning. Please come to Jesus Christ. The God that we are presenting to you is not a God who stay at a distance. He came as a human. He embraced every part of that. And he died on the cross in order to get, to get a punishment that you deserved so that you get to enjoy eternal life in him. And eternal life, don't begin, don't begin just when you die, well, I'm going to heaven. Yeah, that's a part of the truth. But that begins right now. He wants to fill you with his spirit. He wants to show you his love. Would you come to Jesus Christ this morning? It's a great time that you let go of your anger, that you confess your confusion to the Lord, that you repent of your bitterness. And even through, even through your pain, I'm, I'm not telling you that pain must not be there, okay? Even through your pain, ask God for wisdom this morning because he is good. He is good. He is powerful. He cares. And he loves you. He loves you. So let's pray. Let's pray. Um, Lord, We don't know what to do so many times. We, we don't know what to do, but, but our eyes are on you. And we need your wisdom so much. And I'm praying for your children that are going through our seasons of trials right now. Lord, bring, bring, bring comfort to their hearts. And I pray for church here that will continue to be grounded solidly in the gospel. Our circumstances are lying. They're lying. So the cross is where we are looking this morning. Bring healing to those who are bitter. Bring salvation to those that don't know you. Heart transplant, God where the heart of stone is removing the heart flesh is put in and, and love for Jesus Christ, just praying for that heart. Give us pure heart, heart that seeks your glory, even when life is hard, so that our seasons of trials will become um, seasons where we become more and more like the one that we love, Jesus Christ. And it's in his precious and awesome name that I'm praying this morning. Amen. Amen.